All right, I think that's all the announcements we have. Let's uh, wrap this lesson up. If you're visiting with us on Sunday nights this year, we're doing uh, what we call what people want to know about the Bible. And our concept is that most people in the world kind of trust the Bible. They believe it's a holy book. There's good stuff in it. And they just want to know some basics about life. Uh, yeah, there's lots of people out there that will argue and atheists and all kinds of things. But most of the folks we run into just want some good, solid information about things in their life. Uh, they've heard some things, and we ought to be able to give them a pretty basic answer to about uh, any of the basics that they come up with. So we're looking at a number of different topics. Uh, we looked at the afterlife uh, because a lot of people wonder about that. This topic that we're finishing up tonight is called Bible Basics. Uh, can we trust the Bible, basically? People have been told that, uh, no, man wrote the Bible, and it's not from God, and it's full of mistakes, and all kinds of things people have heard. Uh, so we're just working through some of those basics so that when you hear somebody say that, you can give them a real basic answer. Uh, and if you save your handouts, maybe you could go home and look and give them a little more detailed example. But uh, it's not necessary to remember all this stuff. Some of you may be thinking, this is just overwhelming. I, there's just too much stuff here to even possibly remember. You don't have to. If, if you've heard it uh, and somebody says, well, I heard the Bible was full of mistakes. Uh, all you got to know is, no, it's not full of mistakes. There, there's things in there that uh, because of a number of different reasons may seem like mistakes. But if you give me a little time, I can come back to you in a few days and explain whatever mistake you may think you know about. Uh, most of them will never know of a mistake. Uh, they, they've just heard that there are mistakes. Uh, so you usually won't have to do that. I think Jim McGuigan tells the story all the time about being on a train and uh, hearing the guy beside him go on and on about how the Bible's just full of mistakes and uh, how well, he can't trust it and it's just a mess and all that and he couldn't take it any longer and finally leaned across the aisle and handed him his Bible. He said, would you just show me one, please? Just one. Well, of course, the guy couldn't do it. The guy had no idea what he was talking about, but he had heard the Bible was full of mistakes. Uh, so that's kind of what we're working through here. Uh, we've broken them into... Uh, major areas of so-called discrepancies or mistakes. And we got about halfway done with page two, if you've got the handout. Uh, we got through the archaeological discoveries. Uh, and I want to add just a little bit to that. Uh, did a little more reading during the week. Uh, I didn't mention the New Testament much. I was talking about Old Testament Things that we've found. Uh, but let's just talk about the, the New Testament a little bit, particularly since the book of Acts pertained, purports to be a history book. Uh, there's a lot of history in Acts, a lot of names of Romans and Greeks and people all over the Asian, the, the Mideast there, and it's quite a history book. And as I said about archaeology, back in the 1800s, before there was too much archaeology done, a lot of people questioned the Bible because they hadn't 
seen any of this. They hadn't heard of these. They questioned whether these names were right and the places existed uh, and all of that. Uh, for instance, a little reference here. Luke in the book of Acts mentions uh, 32 different countries, 54 cities, nine islands, and, and a whole bunch of people, and a whole lot of titles of officials in those cities and countries and all that. Uh, you research all that with what we've found today, uh, he doesn't make any mistakes. It's a whole borne out uh, by archaeology and secular history that has found that. Uh, once historian Sir William Ramsey uh, said this, and he lived back in the day when a lot of it was doubted, he said, I began with a mind unfavorable to Acts. For the in, uh, da, 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 because he believed this theory about Acts was wrong, uh, it did not lie then in my line of life to investigate the subject minutely. But more recently, I found myself often brought into contact with the book of Acts as an authority for the topography, antiquities, and society of Asia Minor. It was gradually borne in upon me that in various details the narrative showed marvelous truth. He said, I'd heard that Acts was wrong. I'd heard that it didn't have truth in it. But he said, the more I check it and the more I've come in contact, it's right. It's accurate. Um, anyhow, you can get in to find a number of quotes uh, about that kind of thing. Uh, one other interesting thing I found and uh, noticed on one of the Bible archaeology reviews that uh, is available in the Library, if you're into that kind of thing, it's pretty heavy stuff, but uh, the cover story says, Real Bible People, uh, and the story inside, and here's a chart of all of the people mentioned in the Bible that are confirmed uh, in history uh, by archaeology, and this is ancient stuff, uh, from Egypt, Moab, Damascus, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, uh, Syria, Babylonia, Persia, all over the known world, and there's at least more than 50 people, but this list 50 people that have been proved by archaeology and historians to have existed. And you say, well, so what? And that's not too impressive if you believe the Bible. But if you think the Bible's a novel, you know, think a bunch of men just wrote it. I mean, that's like picking up a John Grisham book or something that's a, that's a novel and say, you know what, everybody he mentions in here actually existed in history. And it'd be even more amazing if he was writing about thousands of years ago. So the whole concept is that when you see that, you say, well, okay, the Bible's pretty accurate. It got history right and got archaeology right. Uh, one other thing I pulled out, because I think it uh, adds to, well, we'll save that till we, now let's do it now. Uh, scientific stuff down at the bottom. When I did that, I remembered I had some old slides that I'd used in a sermon and then used on Know Your Bible. Did you find those, Jim? Okay, good man. Put those up there. Put one up there at a time. Uh, okay, this is in a sermon about the Bibles from God. And uh, the first point was that the Bible's unique. Second point was that it's historically accurate. Uh, next slide. Uh, one critique back in the 1800s 
was that Moses, they didn't write back in the time of Moses, so he couldn't have written the first five books. Uh, they believed the Hittites didn't exist. Uh, they believed Solomon's three cities didn't exist. And like we talked about last week, since then they've dug up stuff that proves all of these true. Uh, they did have writing back in Moses' time. Uh, the Hittites were a real people, and Solomon's three cities of Hazor and, and Megiddo, and uh, the other one, they found them. Okay, next slide. Uh, this is a quote by William Albright. He said, Discovery after discovery has established the accuracy of innumerable details and has brought increased recognition to the values of, of the Bible as a source of history. So after more archaeologists dig up more stuff, uh, we believe it more and more. Uh, Nelson Glick, the next one. He said, No archaeological discovery has ever controverted a single properly understood biblical statement. Anything we dig up proves the Bible, if it has anything to do with the Bible. Nothing's ever disproved anything in the Bible. Okay, those were just to remind you. Now, the Bible's scientifically accurate, and we'll talk more about this toward the end. The Bible's not a science book, but when it says something about science, it's right. Okay? It doesn't purport to be a science textbook, uh, but it's always right when it talks about scientific things. And this, to me, with my background and the way I think, I guess, is one of the most am amazing proofs uh, that the Bible is not only from God, but is from accurate, is accurate, is some scientific things that the Bible talks about. Uh, next slide. Psalms 8.8 talks about the paths of the sea. Well, until just recently, we didn't know there were paths in the sea. Okay, old-time sailors found them sometimes, but there are currents in the oceans that are pictured here on this uh, map that are in the sea. There's paths, there's roads, there's, you get in that current and it goes a certain direction. Okay? Uh, and God talked about that way back when David wrote Psalms, the paths of the seas. Job 26.7 uh, says, He suspends the earth over nothing. How many hundred years was it after that that we still believed the earth was supported by something? Uh, the Romans had Atlas or somebody uh, under the earth holding it up. And it was flat, by the way. Uh, but they, <laughs> they thought something had to be holding it up. And just... Uh, Past few hundred years, we finally figured that out where we could get out away from Earth and look and say, huh, that thing is suspended over nothing. Isaiah 40 and verse 22 talks about the circle of the Earth. 1492, who thought about the circle of the Earth? Well, there were a few people that thought maybe it was round, but most of them thought it was flat. That's 500 years ago. Well, Thousands of years ago, God told us there was the circle of the earth. Leviticus 17.11, God said the life is in the blood. We read that, didn't have any idea what it meant. In fact, just a hundred years or so ago, if you were sick, what did we do to you? Stuck a hole in you and let you drain some blood out. Okay, We thought, well, that'll make him feel better. You know, I mean, it sounds silly today, 
because we figured out that the life is in the blood. Somebody's sick, we give them more blood or transfer, take out the bad blood and put in good blood. But we certainly don't bleed people to make them feel better. But that's what the best scientists thought, even though God said the life is in the blood. Next one, Leviticus 13.46. The, the idea of quarantine. When people had certain diseases in the Old Testament, they had to live outside the camp. They got quarantined. We didn't figure that out till late 1800s or sometime. I can't remember when. 1700s maybe at the best. They'd get a disease in town, and they didn't know where it was coming from. They thought it was in the air somehow or something, and we finally figured out. Okay, if you get a guy with Ebola, you keep him where he is. No, you don't. You fly him to America. That's the idea. <laughs> Anyhow, quarantine's still a pretty good idea. Uh, next to the last one here. Uh, the earth is the center of the universe. How, how long did we believe that as a people? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. Spontaneous generation, the things that uh, our scientists dreamed up, uh, the Bible doesn't talk about it. Uh, they thought flies were spontaneously generated out of a piece of meat. Uh, they didn't know anything about the maggots and all of that. The four elements, earth, air, fire, and water, that's what man thought. That's what science thought. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. So not only is the Bible accurate where it does talk about science, it was way ahead of man, and it doesn't have any of the errors that man made about scientific things. All right, last slide. Bible's unique. It's historically accurate, and it is scientifically accurate. Okay, so there I recycled part of an old sermon and had some pictures. So hopefully that helps you think about the archaeological and the scientific. All right, let's jump to differences in numbers. Fourth thing there on our page. A lot of discrepancies, a lot of things that people put in these lists of errors fall in this range. A scribe made a mistake. And we've already talked about how few mistakes they made because of how serious they were, how deadly serious they were. If they found a mistake on a page, they destroyed the whole page. But in hundreds of years of copying, and guys doing that with a quill pen and... All of that, there's a mistake slipped in every once in a while. Anybody that's done any kind of calligraphy at all or even just copying from one thing to another on a keyboard, you know, you make a mistake every once in a while. And if you're doing it letter by letter and being very careful, like in calligraphy, you make a mistake every once in a while. It makes you really mad when you make it, but you do. Well... Through the centuries, at some point, a scribe made a mistake, and a few of them have slipped into the Bible. There aren't many of them, uh, but people point them out as errors these days. Uh, a couple of examples I gave you. Second uh, Kings 24.8 says Jehoiakim was 18 when he became king, and Second Chronicles 36.9 says he was 8. Well, it does say two different things. Uh, there's enough other stuff in the Bible that we calculate people's reigns and who was around and all that, and we know he was really 18, 
But at some point, one scribe made that mistake. He forget, forgot to make that little mark that added ten. And by the way, writing in Hebrew and stuff is not exactly like writing in uh, our Roman numbers. Uh, little marks made all sorts of difference and pretty easy to make. Uh, so somehow, somebody made a mistake once and it slipped in. Now, uh, the interesting thing about that is it's actually kind of a reverse proof, if you want to call it that, because scribes were so careful that once a mistake slipped in, it stayed in there. I mean, once it got into the official Hebrew text, the next guy's copying it. It said 18, he wrote down 18. It said 8, he wrote down 8. Okay. It was so holy that nobody went back and said, no, we're going to correct that. He didn't make revisions. And the old copy was gone. It was buried or burned. So once it was in, it was in. Uh, kind of a perverse way. That, uh, it's a reverse proof that we do have accuracy. A uh, second example I gave you there is that, uh, uh, oh, there's another explanation besides a scribal error. Uh, for instance, Genesis 46:27 says, The people of Jacob who went to Egypt numbered 70. And when Stephen's telling the story in Acts 7:14, he says there's 75. So some people put that on their list of discrepancies. One place says 71, says 75. Uh, if you do a little more research, you find that when they translated the uh, Old Hebrew into Greek translation, the Septuagint, uh, they actually counted Joseph's descendants who were in Egypt. That's the way they thought about it, so they added them in. And that's what Stephen read. So Stephen said there were 75, uh, which was accurate depending on which group of people you were talking about. Okay, context is the next one. And we won't spend much time on this, but it happens in some of the less responsible, I guess, lists or less honest lists. Some lists really make lists of discrepancies and errors that on first glance, yeah, that sounds wrong. (coughs) Some of them uh, put things down that Anybody that's been through Palace of the Sun can figure out. Uh, it's not a mistake. Uh, for instance, the one I put down is one of those. Genesis 2.17, that verse says, If you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Genesis 3.4 says, You will not surely die. I've actually seen that in a list of discrepancies. One verse says this, and one verse says this. Well, look at the context. You know, who's talking? What, what's the situation? Uh, one, God is talking. Number two, Satan is talking. And they disagree? Oh, okay. Uh, that, that makes sense, I guess. But people actually put it in their list of discrepancies. So sometimes it's just all you got to do is read the context. becomes crystal clear. And the last one, uh, scientific. Uh, some skeptics do try to... Uh, convince people that there's scientific errors in the Bible. Uh, most of them are pretty, what I call on your handout, nitpicky, uh, because they don't allow for human language, the way we talk. 
Uh, like I said, the Bible's not a science book. It's not a science text. It's people communicating with each other. Uh, so it says some things, like Ecclesiastes 1.5 says the sun rises and sets. Solomon was talking about the world. And he says the sun rises and sets. What he meant was time goes on. Well, some critics, skeptics, say, well, so there the Bible is scientifically wrong because the sun doesn't rise and set. The sun stays still and the earth rotates around it and it looks like it's rising and setting. But if this was written by God, he'd know that. God did know that. (laughs) But Solomon was talking to people in common everyday human language. And he used that little expression that we still use today, that time goes on. Uh, The sun comes up, the sun goes down. Another day. Uh, He's not trying to be scientific or teach a scientific class of any kind. That's just the way people talk. Uh, And some of this is what I, here's a real nitpicky one I found on a list. 1 Kings 7.23 says that the uh, big bronze basin in Solomon's temple was 10 cubits in diameter and 30 cubits around. Well, skeptics have pointed out that that's scientifically wrong because everybody knows what pi is, and the circumference would actually be 31.14, or 31.141659, something. I forget the rest of it. Anybody remember the rest of it? Anyhow, uh, yeah, technically, scientifically, legally, if something's 10 foot in diameter, it's going to be 31.1 something feet around. Uh, but, once again, this is common language. It's, it's not a science textbook. Uh, I guess things when I look at the diameter of them. I guess the circumference. And I use number three. If you ask me how big around that tree is, I'll go over and look at the tree, and I'll say, that's about a foot in diameter, so it's probably about three feet around. That's what Solomon was writing down here. Ten-foot basin, 30 feet around. It's a big basin. Perfectly normal, perfectly uh, understandable, and not that he didn't know what pie was or care what pie was. He was just talking about how big the basin was. Uh, not a science textbook. When it does say something scientific, though, it gets it right. Uh, and I put a few of those things that I just showed you pictures of. A lot of the Old Testament uh, that we look at and say, why did he make that restriction? Or why is that dietary restriction in there? A lot of it's health-related. Uh, things that we're just now figuring out, oh, that is bad for you uh, to do that. So God was... Ahead of the curve quite a ways there. All right. Uh, now, we spent all this time talking about the Bible's true and uh, it had game mistakes in it and all that. Let me make sure we understand one thing before we go on to our next topic. Uh, we aren't trying to prove that the Bible has no mistakes to prove that it's the Word of God. That's not what we're trying to do. In fact, that wouldn't prove that it's the Word of God. Uh, I glanced through the paper this morning, and uh, I probably could find a front-page article or maybe even a real long, long article, 
and go through it and proof check it real closely and find out it had absolutely not one error. No typos, no spelling mistakes, no factual errors. Absolutely right. Would that make it the Word of God? Obviously not. Uh, so, so trying to show that the Bible has no mistakes, we're not doing that to prove that it's the Word of God. Uh, it is the Word of God. It claims to be. Jesus trusted it. Jesus quoted from it. He treated it as the actual inspired, uh, unerring Word of God. We've got plenty of other proof for that. Uh, why we talked about this is because people ask about it. People want to know, has the Bible got mistakes in it? Well, we've spent a half hour to an hour or so on this topic, and hopefully you've heard enough that you can come back to them and say, no, it's really not. Uh, there's reasons for everything you've ever heard is an error. Now, why don't you tell me one you've heard, and I'll go research it. I'll go see if I can find an answer for you. Well, most of the time they can't give you one. But if they do, then come find the answer for it. You can do it. Uh, Internet's an amazing thing. It'll answer almost anything. Uh, So that's what we've been talking about and why. People want to know. All right. What's the next thing we're going to talk about, next topic? I actually had already decided what our next topic was, but then I had it confirmed uh, last week. I opened the front door and found a little pamphlet in my front door uh, that Jehovah's Witnesses had been to visit when we were gone, evidently. And on the back of their pamphlet, they say, which of these big questions concerns you most? Now, I read that and I figure as many doors as they knock on, you know, obviously a lot of doors don't open to them or a lot of doors open and then get slammed on them. But you got to give them credit. They keep knocking. Uh, but anyhow, as many as they've knocked on, they probably have a pretty good idea what people want to know. They probably have a pretty good idea of what people wonder about. And so since our topic is what people want to know about the Bible, I thought, well, I'll see if that confirms anything we've been talking about. So uh, their first one is, what's the meaning of life? Uh, that's a little... <laughs> kind of cosmic for us to tackle, but it's, I guess people do wonder about that. Next one is what happens when you die? See, that was our second topic. We spent a long time on that because that's what people wonder about. What's the afterlife like? What's heaven and hell like? What happens? Where do you go? All that. So that's why we spent that much time talking about that one. And the third one they got on their little list is about suffering. Is God to blame for our suffering? Uh, why do bad things happen in this world? If God's really God, why does he let these bad things happen? Uh, people do wonder about that. And I'd already selected that as our fourth topic, so we're going to talk about the whole question of evil uh, starting the next time we're together on Sunday night and see if we can uh, find some answers to that because people want to know. All right, thank you for your attention through all this. I know we drug it out a little bit, but uh, I think hearing it and having it in there is good for us. So thank you for hanging in there with me on it. Uh, The lesson is yours. If you've got any need to respond this evening, we'd be happy to help you with that. 
I'll be glad to help you put Christ on in baptism, or if you need the prayers of this family as we're together tonight, we'd be happy to do that with you. I'll be here at the front to receive you. If you need anything, come to the front. Let's stand and sing.